Hello, and welcome to Will We Make It Out Alive? I'm Amy, the Poop Detective. And I'm Jen, the Magical Mapper. This is Season 3, Episode 7, Success Starts at the Root, which is all about the Roots of Success program. This is our final episode of Season 3, although we may sneak in a mini-sode later. In this episode, we will learn more about the Roots of Success program from Grady Mitchell, a former participant and current Corrections and Reentry Program Director at the Roots of Success. Season 3 is all about the Sustainability in Prisons Project, SPP, how they bring education and training into the prisons to reduce recidivism and protect and enhance our environment. We have interviewed a variety of people from SPP and organizations and individuals that have participated in the program this season. We greatly appreciate all of Kelly Bush's hard work, as well as everyone else who granted us interviews and shared their stories. But we still have one story to bring you. Whoop, whoop. Hey, Amy. Yeah? Did you know that success isn't always valued? Uh, clearly, I'm a human being. <laughs> For example, the gastrointestinal system's success is a complete human waste. Uh, aww. I don't know if I can agree with that statement with the fecal vomiting I've been having lately. Oh. <laughs> I don't know. I thought you would like it because it was about poop. I do like that. <laughs> I'm just sensitive right now. I know. Sorry. Well, let's get into our interviews. Before we talk to Grady, we'd like to bring back Emily Passarelli really quickly. Emily is the Education and Outreach Manager at the Sustainability in Prisons Project and worked with the Roots of Success program in her first go-around at SPP. Welcome back, Emily. Can you describe what Roots of Success is and how it got started? Yeah, I'd love to. Roots of Success is through this organization called Roots of Success out of San Francisco, and it was this amazing environmental literacy curriculum that was developed by Raquel Penderhughes, who works in San Francisco. And she developed this awesome peer-led education that kind of is like a crash course on environmentalism and pieces of environmentalism. So that one's really cool. And that was one of the first peer-led education programs that SPP dealed with. We work on training new instructors, getting them the updated curriculum, and just kind of coordinating it throughout the 12 prisons. And that particular program is in other prisons throughout the country, too. Thanks for joining us again to share a little bit about Roots of Success, Emily. Next up, we have Grady Mitchell, who is currently the Corrections and Reentry Program Director at Roots of Success Environmental and Job Readiness Curriculum. He also is a motivational speaker and consultant with Grady Mitchell Consulting. He has taught and mentored hundreds of students in the Roots of Success program and trained men incarcerated in Washington's prisons to teach Roots of Success classes. Mitchell volunteers for the Washington Department of Corrections in developing volunteer and reentry policies and continues to mentor. Welcome. Good morning. It's a pleasure to be here. Can you tell us about how you got involved with Roots of Success? Well, sure. But before I do that, I'd like to extend a sincere apology to the community. And based on the choice and decision that I made many years ago, 37 years ago, actually, that harmed the community in some kind of way. So I I'd always like to begin with that, that I'm truly, truly sorry for that offense that I committed. So Roots of Success, awesome program. When I first became involved with it, you may not have gotten that type of adjective from me about it. 
you know, when I first had heard about it, I was incarcerated at Washington State Penitentiary. And a supervisor who I really, really respected, we had an excellent rapport, he came to me and he went on vacation or went to some training and he came back and he said, man, you know, while I was there, I learned about some program that's called Roots of Success. I was like, okay, well, what is it? He said, it's environmental, you know, literacy and job training. I said, I'm not no tree hugger, man. <laughs> I said, okay, well, if, if that's what you want to do, because I was fully supportive of him, not just because he was my supervisor, but because I had respect for him as a man. About three weeks later, I was transferred. I had been promoted to medium custody. So I was like, man, I really don't want to go. But, but that was it. And so when I got to the medium custody facility, total difference in treatment and behaviors in, for lack of a better term, freedom in the facility. So I became involved with some programs. I was unemployed. I, I didn't have a job. A counselor, never forget him, Bob Alizinski, a really great guy, a friend to the day. He's retired now. He uh, walked up to me. I never you know, met him before this time until I came to this facility. And he said, Grady. I said, yes, sir. He said, you know, I noticed you got a, a lot of influence on people. You impact people. He said, man, you're a really, really impactful individual. You know, and guys really look up to you and they respect you. And that's normal because throughout my incarceration, I was what they called a silverback. And a silverback mainly is someone that has that type of power and influence amongst our peers. He said, man, I want you to think about being a facilitator. That may be a great idea. Let me, let me see. I didn't like my goodness to be attached to a program because the things that I did, I did it from my heart. It wasn't because I was involved in one program or the other. And because I really didn't believe in a lot of those programs. I think it was just something the administration wanted to satisfy on paper or something like that, because, mm -hmm. you know, it was almost like once you complete it, it's over with, you're done. Right. Mm -hmm. So I became involved in the program as a facilitator. So then one day he comes up to me, he say, man, he say, I got this program I think you'll be excellent for. I said, man, listen, I'm not doing no other program. He said, no, it's a really good program. It's called Ruthless Success. Man, wait a minute. I heard about this back up at the penitentiary. And then I agreed to go through the training. One, because I needed a job. I was still unemployed. And so I said, well, okay, it pays me, you know, 55 bucks a month. All right, no problem. So we went and we signed up and it was myself and four of the colleagues. We went to the reception center in Washington and when we got to the door, we met a lady, Dr. Raquel Pendehues, and immediately, I can't explain how she did it, but it was almost like, you know, walking into your typical classroom or training. We're family, and that's the feeling we got. She was at the door, she greeted us with a smile, held our hand, shook our hand, and you could just feel the energy and the warmth from the handshake. And I was like, whoa. Mind you, it was myself, four of the colleagues, as well as people from other facilities, inmates. And then it was staff there from Washington. There was other staff members in the room. I'm like, man, here we go again. Because psychologically, we think the playing field's not level. We're going in, mm -hmm. we have to be careful what we say, what we do. You get infractions and write-ups. So a lot of those things go through your mind, but they don't create obstacles. And so we went into the classroom and from the onset of the training, the playing field was level. I respected and appreciated that. 
because what that did is it provided me that experience of really feeling valued. It allowed me to feel that my thoughts and opinions were appreciated. I noticed that even the staff didn't really push themselves to stay in that authoritarian position. They allowed the playing field to become level. So we went through the training. It was a one-day training. It was so much fun, but it was serious. We had to practice facilitating in front of her. And it was like, I remember sweating. You know, I got to get up and present her material in front of her. But she made us understand that it's okay to make the mistakes. It's okay to do all of that because this is how you learn from them. And then the approach was, I use this word a lot, magical. And so we went through the training. We got out. We was really excited. We got back to the facility and we talked amongst ourselves. Typical classroom setting is, you know, you have a staff member there or a teacher there. And, you know, we helped the teacher. We came to understand that we were teaching the class. And so we all went through the curriculum together. And, you know, we were students and training. That was the only time that happened. And so it was fun. The second time we were told from the superintendent, Pat Glebe, I'll never forget him. Alizinski won't be in the classroom with you guys from now on. He just went through it as a student. He said, really, if you notice, he didn't do any instructing. You guys did. You mean they're going to leave us in the class? They said, nah, it's going to be some officer or something somewhere. It was not. We began our class. We began to notice the same thing, how the playing fields, for lack of a better term, became so level amongst the different cultures and backgrounds and education levels. The cohorts consist of anywhere between, I would say, 20 and 30 people. Imagine the environment in prison. Imagine your games. Imagine your politics. Imagine your races. Imagine your age differences. Imagine your military statuses or your beliefs. Imagine all these things inside of prison and 20 to 30 men inside of a classroom with no staff. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I didn't know that happened. (laughs) Yeah. Imagine it. And so as we were trained to do, and we had telephone conferences with Dr. Prenderhughes in between that time to, to get a better understanding of some things. We had questions. And so we knew that the outside staff was watching. They knew something was going to happen. You know, just, you don't just leave inmates in the classroom. By <laughs> Who does that? You know, they're going to be in there smoking weed. They're going to be doing everything but what they're supposed to do, right? What we were trained to do and what we understood is the professionalism starts at the door. And so prior to any student ever walking into our classroom, we shake their hand. And the process begins then at the orientation, the first day of class, where they become included. And you include them by, we just have a conversation just as we're doing right now. And then we say, okay, well, we need to come up with what we call rules of engagement. In other words, these are the rules we're going to agree to to follow throughout the class. And you'll notice they begin to add little input and say, well, we shouldn't do this either. Okay, and we come up, normally it lists about 10 things we do. One of them is profanity, always profanity, staying awake in class. If you miss a class, you have to make it up. We don't tolerate anything. The bar is really raised, and it's usually raised by the students. It's not us. You get guys say, well, I'm not much of a talker. You know, I'm antisocial. 
or I don't get along with A, B, C, and D. It's like, okay, no problem. Mm -hmm. And so we begin teaching the curriculum, usually right around the second module, which is the water module. They begin to learn things. The very first module, really, we talked about perceived obsolescence and planned obsolescence. These are things never would have came to my mouth. I, I didn't even know what they were. <laughs> but it comes out of the story of stuff video. It was amazing just to be able to understand something with such a big term. Really, it just means something simple that, you know, manufacturers design stuff to break so you have to buy it again. Yeah. And that's what we do. Yeah. We'll take planned obsolescence and say, well, here's what it means. And get back to the dynamics of the classroom. You have guys with college educations, some that didn't complete high school, some that didn't get past ninth grade. Uh, you have gang members. We've had as young as 19 years old, and we've had as old as 64. And what happens is, is we don't just sit and read from a book and say, okay, yeah, blah, 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 blah. Now we're going to watch a video. Well, what you think? Oh, blah, 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 blah. No. We don't just sit there and pump information. We facilitate the conversation. That's what it is. And the instructor's manuals are all scripted, so it doesn't matter what facility that you're at. It's broken up into 10 thematic modules, talking wastewater, energy, health, food, and agriculture, building, community organizing, financial literacy, social entrepreneurship. And at the end is what we call an application and practice where everything you've learned throughout the class, we begin to put it together. And in each module, we have what we call student learning outcomes. If you just say, make it through five modules and you get transferred, it happens in the Department of Corrections. Mm -hmm. Then you will actually be able to pick up right there and that same module and continue forward with the same training because the instructor's manual is scripted to do that. It was just so great watching people become empowered. Mm -hmm. I just taught my last class last year, and I'll tell you this, it was in the middle of COVID. We were the only class running. They didn't need a staff of volunteer. Right. It was just great. Even Emily Passarelli wasn't there. So what we begin to see is, is some of your hardcore guys begin to understand the commonalities. There's a cross-pollinization of communication that occurs people begin to understand that they really have so much in common or they learn how to respect the other person's opinions or their values or their beliefs. And this is based on lived experience from them in their communities. We share with you, we learn from each other because we're in the front of the class facilitating doesn't mean that we have all the knowledge. And what happens is you begin to see those college guys learning from the guys that never graduated high school. Then yeah. you begin to see the respect level of the different races, the Native Americans that are in the class, the Hispanics, the Latinos, the African-Americans, and the Europeans, they begin to understand because there's parts in the whole curriculum that says describe something from your past that was a food that was, you know, really important to you and your family. And we begin to understand and share. And because we're their peers, a lot of the things they normally get away with in normal education classes they don't even attempt with us because we know. Mm -hmm. And there's a double benefit there because as the instructors, we also now are held accountable and responsible for them. And what I mean by that is, is I can't be in front of the class sharing things with you and teaching you and explaining and giving you the importance of why presenting yourself is very, very, very important 
in whatever moment of, of your life that you're in, how you present yourself is very, very important. If I'm not doing that every day on the breezeway and the big yard and the units. So we then become accountable. It almost, I don't want to say forces us, but it screams to us, you know, that when I do feel like doing something wrong, you know, because your integrity, your character with those students, you have to maintain mm -hmm. that. And so those things all begin to come in play. And then we share how you can share what you learn in the curriculum with your families. I'll use myself, for example, we purchased a home, me and my wife, when I was incarcerated. And so when she first got to it, our heating bills were like 380 bucks a month during the work. Wow. 2,200 square foot house. So as we got through the energy module and the building module of Roots of Success, I began to understand some things. So I was like, hey, honey, try this. Why don't you do this? Put these on the power strip and shut the whole power strip off. And just things like that. Then I, I had a conversation one day with someone from the power company, and we became exposed to an array of programs. And so what they did is, is they came out and did an energy assessment. I wouldn't know what an energy assessment was until I took the class. Right? Yeah, I mean, I feel like there's so many people, you know, having worked in the environmental realm that also don't know that there are things like that available, oftentimes for free, because it's good for the energy company also if you use less energy. I'm not surprised because I don't feel like a lot of people know about those kind of things. I mean, absolutely, I didn't. And they came out and did an energy assessment, not only changed the light bulbs from the old incandescent ones, but what they did is they said, hey, we see that this refrigerator you got was made in such and such, such. We have a program. We'll give you a brand new refrigerator free. What? <laughs> I said, twist. <laughs> so it was because of the terminologies and everything and the understanding about all this, that I was able to have that conversation. Then not only did they replace the refrigerator, the guy that came out and replaced the refrigerator say, you know, we also have a program for your washing machine. You yep. use too much water. And then they had a referral service that we took a part of that actually came in and inspected our crawl space. And we had mm -hmm. all that took care of. And then we started learning about ductless heating system. That's mm -hmm. when I really took off when we started learning and discussing that. And that actually came from a student that was in the class. Oh, interesting. And so I looked into it. And I will tell you that now we just got our, our heating bill last month. We had the heat on because it was cold up here in Washington. And it came mm -hmm. back to 88 bucks. <laughs> Whoa. That's awesome. Now, 88 bucks was just last month. But normally it averages out to right at 120. Now you're talking 380 down to 120. We, we just look at, you know, one of our students, because of that, he went and contacted his sister's power company. They gave her a new roof, brand new roof, free of charge. The only condition, she could not sell that house for 10 years. And so a lot of these things are available. But the point that I'm making is it came from that popular education model. It came from understanding more about the environment and just being aware of our carbon footprint, naturally, and the effect that we're having on the planet. And while we may not care, but what about our grandkids? How has being involved with Roots of Success had an impact on you? I think there's so many anecdotes that I could provide you of why it means so much to me. And I think the greatest is one day, it was I think it was right around the seventh class, and I went to the visiting room. I was visiting with my family, and one of the students, a young European kid, he walked up and he said, Grady, come here. 
I, I said, okay, so I walked up to the table. We're not supposed to do that. But, you know, when you're doing great, good things, positive things, staff tend to just turn ahead, you know, because they know what he's doing mm-hmm. is okay. And he introduced me not only as his instructor, but his friend. And that really impacted me. Coming from such a place where there should have been no connection like that. And that let me know then that Root Success really provided a platform for humanity to prevail in such a dark place and to be able to just sit in the classroom and share. So there's a great difference between what we do and what the normal, and by no means, this is not a slight on community colleges that are annexing inside of prisons. It's not. Because a lot of the professors mm-hmm. and a lot of the teachers there really, really care. But we had a, one of the professors come over to our class because every morning we, we talk about our students, me and my colleagues. We used to talk about our students and see, okay, here's what he's doing in his workbook. Man, he may have a little bit of problem understanding or learning. He may not be getting what we're doing. How can we do it better? Not how can they understand it better. How can we do it better? Well, they will and so when the professors came over and he knocked on the door, we waved him in. He said, you know, you guys mind if, if I ask you a question? I said, absolutely not. Come on in. He said, you know, I, every time I walk past you guys' this class, I notice everyone up here is, is just so active. They're so lively. You're just laughing, having fun, and, and just so much joy. What do you do? I said, what do you mean, what do we do? So me and my colleagues kind of looked at each other. We say, well... To put it in a nutshell, we raise the bar. We demand professionalism. We demand it by putting it in their lap to say, hey, listen, this is what you have within you. This is what we're going to give you. You know, it's about including them. And he was really, really pushed back because the students in this class, we're talking GED. They're getting a GED and they're over there sleeping. We had a veteran. His name was Jim. And he was hard of hearing. He'd been in the wars and everything. I think Jim was right around 62 years old. And so Jim was sitting with a group of guys. One of them was, I think he was 21 years old. He was a blood. The other one was like 23. He was a crip. And then there was another one that was a a crip there. And then there was a a Hispanic that was a part of their group. And so we, we, you know, we're going through the class and we're teaching. And Jimmy used to always say, huh? You know, and so we would always have to stop to be sure. And so this is the first couple of weeks. So then we got to about the fourth, fifth week. And well, the first couple of weeks, you the guys would take me like, Jimmy, come on, man. You heard him. You heard him. And so it was like, you know, we hold up, man. We're going we gonna to slow down. We got Jimmy. You know, mm-hmm. we need to talk louder. Come on, Jimmy. We moved him to the front of the classroom, our whole group, right? And so we got you because we want you to get it. And so around the fourth or fifth week, what we noticed was, is the younger guys were telling us, hold up, man, Jimmy ain't done yet. You know, you, you got you to give Jimmy some time to get finished. They were stopping us. Jimmy didn't even have to do it. So they had really wrapped their arms around Jimmy. And they began to say, hey, we're not leaving him behind. So we'll stop the whole class if that's what it takes to be sure Jimmy's going to make it with us. And we had no problem with mm-hmm. that. And Jimmy felt so great at the graduation. I'll never forget what he spoke about. And so it, it just felt so great to see that these type of embracements and relationships amongst the students are common. And because we're the peers teaching that class, we understand the terminology, we understand the game, we understand it all. 
Yeah. Yeah. Like you were saying, it's, it's a lot harder to kind of pull things yeah. when it's your peers that are leading you, right? So, because you guys all know what you're up to. <laughs> the guys that come in saying that they're antisocial, normally you can't quiet them down by the end of the curriculum. Yeah. So talkative because we do presentations, we do mock interviews, and we cover these things. You know, the mock interview, you would think, okay, well, he's our facilitator. And they really sit down and see the seriousness of the questions we ask. And when they sit in that seat across from us and we ask those questions, literally, a lot of times you'll see them tighten up a little bit because it's like, whoa, wait a minute, this is serious. These dudes are really serious about this because they have to have that feeling, that experience. The other exciting part about youth of success is the fact that it doesn't drop you off a cliff. What you learn is relevant. And at the end of the curriculum, it's not like, okay, bye, you have your certificate. No. If you're going in front of a parole board or a clemency board, which I went through, letters of support will be written in your behalf. And they're not your normal cookie cutter. You know, we're just going to pump out some letters with the same thing and change the name. They're not form letters. They're targeted and tailored toward whoever that individual is because they provided the information at the end of the class. They have the opportunity to write to explain what they got from the course, how they felt about it. Their input is just still carried on and carried through. Also, the things you begin to do, your lifestyle, the way that you now begin to carry that information forth that you have. Your group of students got together, and what they did is they decided they were going to see how much water was being wasted in their unit, and I mean, amongst the facilities. So each one of them went to their units, and in the morning, they got up and they got permission naturally from the individual they were with. And they measured with an eight ounce cup how many cups of water was running down the drain while they brushed their teeth, only while they brushed their teeth. And it came out to be, it was 1.8 gallons. And then we multiplied that. We're talking 1,700 people in the facility. Imagine if everyone brushes their teeth in the morning. Some people brush their teeth two or three times a day. Some don't. So they took this information and they gathered all of it and they presented it to the class in a presentation form. And at the end of the curriculum, there's an opportunity for the superintendent to come into the class and the class can ask the superintendent questions. And Mr. Glebe was excellent. He believed in the whole process. And so he came in and he asked a question. And when he got that information, it launched a campaign throughout the facility of flyers telling people to be more water efficient. It was excellent, but it all came from that group of students and the information that they had learned. I mean, yeah, how empowering yeah. is that? That seems huge for them to go through the process of figuring out how they would estimate what the water waste was and then actually being able to present that to mm -hmm. the superintendent and him being like, let's see if we can address that. I mean... From what I know about incarceration, it doesn't seem like that's normally what is going on. Maybe it is. I don't necessarily know, but that seems pretty awesome to yes, me. It is. Magical, in fact. It is pretty magical. Like I said, those are just a few of the stories. There's many more. The Some of the greatest moments is when we see people graduate. We had an individual graduate and then was released. He came back for something totally unrelated. He only came back for like 60 days. Uh, it wasn't that he had violated something that the system had overlooked. And so they had to bring mm -hmm. him back to prison. And this was like about eight months later. 
and he wanted to come and talk to the club. He said, man, I got out and I, I took what you guys was telling me and got out and we did it. And he was just so excited. I said, I don't know if we can allow you to do that. So we got in touch with our staff sponsor and he said, absolutely, we can. I would also like to say that something that's really, really important is I've graduated over hundreds of students. And I can tell you not one incident, not one incident that required staff to come into the classroom, not one incident where we had to defuse a situation, not one incident where someone was just disrespectful. And I feel like should everybody participate in this program? Right. It, like not even just people that are in prison, but I feel like people in our society maybe yeah. need to participate in this. How do students get into the program? Is it competitive? Yeah. Do they sign up or are they kind of handpicked of who you think will benefit from it? Or like, how does somebody get into it? So I would say right now it would be word of mouth. When we first started the program, we put up flyers explaining to people. And, you know, a few guys signed up. But after the first class, it was like, hey, you should really go through that. They got, they got some lot of information. And so it doesn't matter if you have three months or if you have mm-hmm. 30 years. I was serving life without the possibility of parole. Mm-hmm. And I became involved. Usually when it comes to education programs, if you're serving over, sadly, over 25 years, you're at the bottom of the list for its priorities. Oh, really? Wow. There's, you know, no room in the class. You're immediately at the bottom of the list. With Kelly and Emily and those guys at SPP, phenomenal in including people in the mm-hmm. workshops and stuff that they did. They were always open to anyone and everyone. So I always tip my hat and their support of Roots of Success as well. But we not only didn't care about how much time you had or how much time you had left, it mattered little to us if you had an infraction in the last 30 days or 60 days, we took you where you were. Do you guys have a limit on how many people can participate in these programs or as many people as want to can? We found out our limit was 30. Okay. Because it's it's a 60-hour, 10 modules, and six hours per module. And that depends on how much conversation and discussion. So usually it's a lot of people have some input. And so just imagine 30 people, that might be a six-month class. (laughs) (laughs) But we can find out if we kept it at like 20 to 22. Usually we can get done in 13 weeks, 14 weeks, because we had a classroom space available twice a week. Now, the class became so popular that the administration can't say, man, we got this giant waiting list of 80 people trying to get in here. So because it was four of us, two instructors were assigned to a morning and two in the evening. So we could cover the guys that actually had to go to work during the day. Mm-hmm. And so we broke it down like that. So here's kind of a different question. Do you think that these programs are moral and ethical, or do you think that they're still exploitative? It depends on which side from the fence you're looking at it. Which filter are you looking at it with? If we're looking from the administrative side, yes, it is. It's highly exploitative because why are you doing this? It normally comes down to finance or because we want to look good. Very rarely, Mm -hmm. see, man, we really want people to put us out of work. You know, we really want people to stop coming back to prison. Now, if you look at it from the side Mm -hmm. of an individual that really cares such as myself, such as Evergreen over at SVP, those individuals come in with great character, great integrity. In 2013, I went for my clemency hearing and I was denied. Uh, My vote was zero to five. They said, nope, you're not going anywhere else. I remember clearly 
wanting to get back to roots of success. Because naturally, we were talking about freedom. And, you know, I'd been teaching, but my colleagues had sort of picked up the slack for me because I needed to prepare for the hearing. And when I did, I remember clearly when I was denied, I wasn't depressed. I wasn't angry. And so I remember sharing it with them, the news. They were more upset than I was. I had to make them understand that this is the consequence of my choice from back in 1983. Mm -hmm. And so every three years you can apply for clemency. I didn't apply again for seven years. What I began to realize, if I couldn't convince myself of the change that I made, how can I convince anyone else? So do you think that your involvement in Roots of Success directly impacted when you decided to go for clemency again? Absolutely it did. That's a pretty big deal. And I will say this, Dr. Cal Penderhuis testified my hearing. That board is one of the most serious boards Mm -hmm. because they know what's at stake. And I remember sitting there and they attacked her. There were several guys in the units watching because they knew I was going again. And so we were on Zoom and I was watching her professionalism prevail. And I remember thinking, man, that's what she's taught us. Mm -hmm. This is what we're trained to do. This is the magic. This is the friendship that develops. This is that familial connection that develops not only with me and Roots of Success, but with me and the students of Roots of Success. So absolutely, mm-hmm. I would say it, gave, it provided me that platform to be able to say, okay, I'm ready. I really feel now is my time to recognize, to send the progress of my students, the staff report. Here's the other benefit that we've noticed with Roots of Success. There's always going to be a us versus them mentality in prison talking about the staff versus the inmates, because we had an excellent report to staff. They saw how we conducted ourselves, and after you, they didn't even come down and check. They was, man, those guys got, they're doing the business down there. They don't play. They ain't having nothing going in that classroom. They ain't supposed to be there. I'm failing to see, like, the downside, really. <laughs> like, it all just seems like it is a excellent program for individuals, but also for the overall community. Mm-hmm within prison, but also for individuals when they're released, right? Absolutely. I'm currently Corrections and Reentry Program Director for Roots of Success. And what that looks like is now when you go through Roots of Success or once you've been released, I'm being sure that we're there. Mm. Dr. Pendehues has given me that as well as trying to get Roots of Success into more facilities. You know, if I didn't believe in it, I would not endorse it. It's all pro bono. Don't get a penny from Roots of Success. That's how much I believe in it. Right. Mm -hmm. If we can just get more facilities. I'm telling you, we're in a lot of facilities across the nation, but we're not enough. We just had a guy get out of Washington State Penitentiary about six weeks ago. I was at the car dealer. He called me. He said, great, I just want to thank you for introducing me to that program. I'm telling you, it gave me the platform, man, to get me right. Can you tell us more about your current role with Roots of Success, which you basically just did? <laughs> but if you wanted to say more, you could. My current role is corrections and reentry. And so what that looks like is I get the opportunity now. When I was released, not any official from DOC came to me and said, hey, Grady, do you need mental health counseling? Do you need someone mm-hmm. to talk to you? You've been in prison for 37 years. Yeah. You may need some help when you get out. Do you need it? Nobody. My attorney and... Raquel has been my counselors. Dr. Penny Hughes has been phenomenal. I don't have a lot of obstacles a lot of people face, but the ones that I have have been major. 
and it's pushed through it. I was never at you know jeopardy of doing something bad and coming home, but they were obstacles in learning. So it makes me even more committed to try to get this across to corrections officials across the United States and in Washington even. And what that looks like is I go into a lot of meetings now with the psychological conditioning. I have to be careful of what I say or I can get put in segregation. You know, if it's something you need to say or something you need to make an adjustment to, then say it. But again, it goes back to how we were trained and what we were taught. And so when I go into those meetings, I go in with the playing field uneven on my own because that's what I've been conditioned to do. Now, I had so much fun at the conference that was sponsored by Yale University and Boston College. Man, I had so much fun with those guys. Man, it was just so awesome. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? What What is this? Yeah. It was uh, over a series of days. They had organization of groups from all over the world. And we were just talking about transformations of a lot of different programs, not just incarceration. Mm-hmm. We were talking about in our section, but they covered from the aspect of science. They covered it from the aspect of just a lived experience, community activists. It was just so many people there with so much information. You had professionals from corrections departments, professionals from the business sector and and, and everywhere. And it was just so many different workshops that I was just really sitting in awe as I was going through the conference. And then they had where you could actually do your Q&A. It was the first time I had ever experienced something like this. A lot of things for me are my first. Yeah. I learned a lot of information about different groups, organizations, and their work. And I just didn't know how broad this was. This goes all the way back to me saying, I'm not a tree hugger. I don't care about reaching success. To now I can really see the importance of this. The work that a lot of group and organizations do and are doing, it really means a lot. And getting that message out, like SPV, the workshop they present inside Mm -hmm. of prison. Just getting the information out. I've never seen a live octopus. The SVP did one of their workshops. Wow. And so then we did the Taking Nature Black with the Audubon Society. Now, that was even more awesome because it was a roundtable discussion and it was conversation about our connection to nature. Me and my wife, we go walks every morning. And around mm-hmm. our home, I wish you could just see it. It's so beautiful. When I was released from prison, I noticed there were no more sidewalks. Then the curbs start disappearing, the street lights start disappearing, and the trees start getting taller. And so I got, I said, man, this is so beautiful, this nature. And my wife said, yeah, it's beautiful now. Wait till you have to rake up all them leaves. <laughs> <laughs> but we go walk night, and it's so peaceful. Mm-hmm. Even when you're disturbed, you get such clarity. We have miles of trails around our neighborhood. We went today, you know, and I saw a tree that it fell into the crevice of another tree. I was saying, look, honey. I say, what does that say to you? And she say that somebody needs to come get that tree now. I say, nah. <laughs> I was like, man, he's telling the tree, man, you ain't heavy, you my brother. Aw. Well, kind of on that same level, what do you most want people to know about the experience of incarceration and reentry? With the experience of incarceration and reentry, it's traumatic. There's trauma on both sides because I just finished some trauma-informed training for the last two months. And I really did not understand that whole A-scale thing. I, I didn't get it. It makes sense to me now. And so when we talk about trauma, there's trauma on both sides. And in order for us to get to a point 
to whereas we can start preventing or get to some healing that it's going to take healing on both sides. And what I mean by both sides is when staff go home or when inmates come home or when families go back home, they're going to need that healing. And what that looks like is being able to have an open mind and not be so judgmental. You know, people just need an opportunity. You know, it's it's one thing to tell someone they're great, to show them their greatness, and then to have it stifled by hate. You know, and I told one of the men that I was mentoring one day, he was was really upset about some things. And I went and got him and we went out and said and ate lunch. I even made pasta, and I don't like pasta. And so when I told him, man, I said, just always remember, man, that hate is louder than love, but love is bigger than hate. I said, so, you know, just remember that. I said, you, you, you've gone to encounter some things. He had encountered some stuff that it could have set him back really, really hard. And I'm proud to say that he took that setback and turned it into a setup for success. And so I think when it comes to the reentry, we have to provide that avenue. Mm-hmm. We have to be there. We have to let them know and hold them accountable. You know, we have to hold each other accountable. You know, and, and one of the things that we're doing that I'm involved with currently with Department of Corrections concerns peer mentorship. And what that looks like is, is being involved with people while they're currently incarcerated. And then when they get out, I'm still involved with them. Because, mm-hmm. again, you're going to have more respect for someone that has that lived experience than a volunteer that has not had it. And it also seems like some continuity from the life that they've been living to the life that they're going back to. It seems very jarring right now. It's, like you said, a traumatic experience kind of from both sides. And so just having somebody that's been through it that they can talk to and help them through, I mean, I'm sure a lot of issues are similar for people coming back into the reentry. So yet another magical and great program that you're involved in. Just to understand, with Roots of Success, we have a Green Jobs and Career Pathway Guidebook. And what that does is it tells you that once you complete this curriculum, you will have the skills for over 125 plus jobs Wow! within the industry. And then they see what those jobs entail. You don't have to worry about no college degrees, or any of that, and they get to send the money. So it's, it's the opportunity. Knowing right. the man that you have an opportunity to do things. And when we talk about incarceration to reentry returning citizens, those guys that I was sharing with you earlier, that, like I said, was in the Concrete Masons Union and thing. I'm in touch with those guys, and I'm saying, hey, listen, I know I got someone coming here. So now we're networking out. So when these guys mm-hmm. are coming out, I'm able to say, hey, listen, okay, here's what I need you to do. While you're still there, now go ahead and get it done. And it's a difference than when their counselors are telling them to do the same thing. Now we're accountable to each other. I understand that. And once you begin the conditioning inside, it's going to follow you outside. So if you're inside gambling and smoking weed and doing drugs and fighting and everything else, guess what you're going to do when you get out? Yeah. Especially if you don't have any skills or, or anything right. that's told you that you are, are better and are more than that, right? I mean, well, I would say let's start condition there and then watch what happens when they come back out. There's a lot more Grady Mitchells inside. There are a lot of men mm-hmm. that are still there. I know they're there and they will be returning at some point. Some have an awfully long time, some don't. 
but there are a lot more there. And if we can just get those type of individuals together to impact and influence the others, just imagine what kind of place it would be. Right. Is there anything else that you would like to add, Grady? As you can tell, my passion is real for this. Yes, absolutely. I've experienced it. I've lived it. I would perhaps just share that this is an opportunity to really have an effect on people's lives in a great way. We can have these conversations all the time, but until there's some action, they're just conversations. I don't mind sharing my life. I'm a very transparent individual. Um, that's why I really don't need different things when I talk to people, because I've come to learn that if you tell the truth, you don't have to remember the lie. There's a lot of people that were involved in making Rootsex itself come to fruition within facilities, like SPPs and, and many different programs. The executive director, Dr. Raquel Pendehues, awesome individual. And I'd like to just thank everyone for the warmth, the reception. Uh, I'm humbled. I'm grateful for the opportunity to be a returning citizen and to experience the things that I've missed for so long. My granddaughter, she just recently was accepted into Eastern Washington University. Congratulations. And she made Dean's List. My grandson is three sports in high school, and he's on honor roll. And so these are the things that are important. Uh, seeing my son, and who I call my daughter, which is his wife, I don't say daughter-in-law, I see that, and I'm able to share that and tell them, you know, that experience, how proud I am. And so we have to get to a point where gratitude outweighs ingratitude. There's so much to be grateful for. And having come from that side of the fence after 37 years, I can tell you, there's some really beautiful people in the community. There's some really active people such as yourselves and people easy to talk to. When we can get into a place where I use my term for a third time, where cross-pollinization of communication can occur amongst us all, regardless of what color we are, regardless of our background, regardless of our culture, and regardless of our economic status of where we've been, when we can get to that point, I think then and only then will we begin to start learning from each other, popular education. Thank you for the opportunity to speak with you guys and to meet you guys. Well, thank you so much for joining us. I hope that there, I, I mean, I really do hope that there are so many more Grady Mitchells out there mm -hmm. also fighting the good cause and trying to do right and, and make our society better, really. So one last thing is rootsofsuccess.org. And my email is grady at rootsofsuccess.org. But no, you guys are awesome. Thanks for making this easy on me. Thank you so much for joining us today, Grady. It's been very, I mean, I've learned a ton, but it also very inspiring and empowering and a little bit magical. A lot magical. Thank you so much. Thank you, guys. I appreciate you so much. Thanks for the work you do. So there you have it. The end of episode seven and the end of season three. Aww. I know. We hope you have laughed naturally from the root of your belly. Oh. Mm -hmm. And learned your way through in a sustainable way. And that we have yet again inspired you to make it out alive. In this episode, we heard a tiny bit from Emily, but we really dug deep with Grady Mitchell about the Roots of Success program. Roots of Success isn't an SPP program, but SPP does help administer it in the 12 Washington prisons. 
As we heard from Grady, it is a very empowering and magical peer-led education program that promotes leadership, cooperation, and science and sustainability education in prisons. The students and peer facilitators take it very seriously. Often the lessons learned are applied in practical situations such as students performing a water use study that led to efforts to reduce water usage while brushing teeth. Another example is when Grady, other students, and facilitators shared what they were learning with their families, which led to energy savings at home through energy audits, new insulation, and new appliances. The program also fosters relationships with graduates helping each other during reentry and really throughout their life, encouraging each other to stay successful. This season, we learned about several aspects of the Sustainability in Prison project, from how it all started to how SPP supports and facilitates their partnerships, to more of the details of some of the conservation and education programs. And if you haven't listened to them all, there are six other episodes of Inspiration just waiting for you. Mm. We also heard from SPP staff, partners, and former participants about how important science and sustainability education and programs are in prisons. The people we interviewed this season have all learned from their experiences with SPP, whether it was realizing that they could learn and be successful, or breaking down preconceived notions about incarcerated individuals and prisons. I know I have learned a lot this season, and I hope to be able to make time to become involved in the future. I'd really like to help bring GIS education into the prisons in some way. If you are inspired and want to get involved, contact SPP. We'll have links in our show notes. Once again, we'd like to thank all of our interviewees this season. We are very grateful that so many people opened up and shared their lived experiences with us. It's a testament to the impact of the SPP programs, and we're glad that we were able to share this wonderful program with you this season. We'll be taking a break before starting work on our next season. If you have story ideas for upcoming seasons, please feel free to share them on our Facebook page or website. You can also email ideas to outalivepodcast at gmail.com. Please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time. Will we make it out alive? This is Amy the Poop Detective, rooting away for the success of the Sustainability in Prisons Project, a truly inspiring season. And I can't beat that, so just goodbye from Jen the Magical Mapper. (laughs) 